I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. No matter the color of our skin, the size of our bank account, where we grew up, or our personality style type, deep within our human DNA, we possess a desire to connect with each other in meaningful and positive ways. However, another human trait is to see and be threatened by our differences. And this has never been truer than the last two years, which could be referred to as the great disconnect. While we might have connected more with family, working from home disconnected us from coworkers. Scheduled Zoom meetings replaced the spontaneous conversations we'd have passing a colleague's office on the way to the break room. Places for friends and neighbors to connect were closed, such as restaurants and bars and concerts and gyms. Politicians disconnected us by demonizing those that didn't agree with their points of view. And while more and more people voice their perspective on social media, few, if any, people change their minds based on what they read on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Therefore, businesses need to rethink and redesign how they encourage their employees and customers to connect. They need to realize that there is no returning to the way it was before COVID. We're no longer in Kansas. This is a new world. It's foreign. It's strange where old mindsets no longer are effective. But more importantly, individuals should take the personal responsibility to treat each person with respect and with dignity. No matter what the differences or how uncomfortable, we all should connect with others in meaningful and positive ways. We should seek to understand, not agree. But my next guest on the business of intuition is Dr. Jen O'Ryan. She has a unique perspective on organizational change, combining her PhD in human behavior with over 20 years of leading global launches of new customer experience initiatives, products, and policy. A self-professed data geek, Jen brings extensive understanding of how people interact with technology, change, and each other. She's also the author of Inclusive AF, a field guide for accidental diversity experts. Dr. Jen O'Ryan on the business of intuition. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being a guest on the business of intuition. I'm so glad that I get to talk to a fellow Seattleite. It sounds like you're up there in Green Lake. I remember when I was in college um, going to the University of Washington, that would be one of my favorite places to jog was Green Lake. So it's a, it's good to look out your window there and probably imagine where you're where you are <laughs> relative <laughs> to to that great location. Hey, I wanted to sort of get the ball rolling here because we were talking before we started hitting the record button about how the big issue or the big topic at a lot of people's minds is now that we're beginning to bring people back to work and trying to navigate that whole complexity, like how many people are going to be at work, how many people are going to be virtual, this whole blended environment that now is really top of mind. What's your take on this? I mean, 
issues, concerns, tips, anything around that subject. Let's start diving into that because I do think it's something that a lot of people are trying to find their way through. Yeah, and that's such a fantastic topic right now because I think so many people are focused on getting it right and getting it right tends to be kind of a baseline measurement against what used to be. And I, I don't think I don't think we're ready for that as humans. I, I think we've had such a such a long reset point that, for lack of a better words, I think we've kind of lost our our ability to deflect sense in the office and noise in the office and things like that. And so we've kind of lost our our callus for each other. And so it's going to be a huge reintroduction of oh, I actually have to be around other humans and. Mm wear pants and you know, <laughs> I, I have to remember how to human in a collective rather than on my own in a virtual space. That's a great point. I hadn't really thought of that before that we've become sort of socialized and familiarized and working from home. And now we got to have to, you know, as you say, put on pants again, brush our teeth and, and start because I think that the social interaction is so much different in these zoom environments than it is mm -hmm. when you're back to face to face. So do you have any sort of any guidance for companies or teams or leaders in terms of how we develop the culture of our team or our company when not all of us are going to be at work all the time? Like, how do you build, how do you build culture when half of us might be zooming in? Yeah, and that is that is such a great question too because I do hear a lot of people in leadership saying, "Well, we we have this great culture." And we have this great culture and it feels like that's part of the grieving process because you you had a great culture in that time and in that space but now you need to create it and take a step back and say okay well, how do we foster that exactly your question how do we foster that that new culture and i think the reality is is that we have to create space for people to show up differently so not saying okay our corporate culture is people who are physically occupying the same space most of the time and then those of her remote are just kind of other, they're just kind of over there. So I think companies are going to have to get much more creative and really see how they engage with their employees, what their people managers are doing. And, and I think it's really that, that key component that, that makes the culture. I mean, realistically, it touches every single stage in the life cycle of an employee. It's not like you just show up and you get a backpack. And a badge and coffee cup or whatever with the logo on it and that's yeah. the culture right the culture right. is hey how do i engage with my teammates when it's not business related and i i would actually give people who are making the decisions and influencing the policies i would give them the jurassic park advice just because you can doesn't mean you should so take a step so back relay that, you relay that oh, back sorry. to a virtual that's a great i love it now you caught my attention even more so how does that Jurassic Park, just because you can't, doesn't mean you should, relay that to our conversation here around bringing people back to work. Some will stay at home. Some will be actually in. Yeah. So even, even from a health and safety aspect aside, right? So say say that the pandemic was over and, and that's we're, we're, we've moved past that, which we haven't. But yeah. I think it's more of a, we have to understand how differently people interact with their environments. So we have people who process information differently. We have people who receive information from their environment differently. We have neurodiverse humans. We have people with ADD, HDD attention issues. We have people with PTSD. And before the mold was, we have to have all these people come in and conform to this 
structure of a physical office space, mm. irrespective of if that's where they're they're most creative or they're best problem solving. And so what was happening behind the scenes, I think in many occasions, is that those people would be in the office because they had to, and mm. they would do whatever they needed to, and then they would go home and actually do their work off hours. Mm. Yeah, of course, right. You know, you have eight meetings and then you go home, put the kids to bed, grab a you know glass of wine, sit at the table and start getting the work done, you know, between yes. then and when you go to bed. And so now it's like we've changed all that. So there's there's so much on this. It's so I'm dealing with this right now, specifically with a company. We are going to do a, a facilitated session next week on this very topic. And so this is really top of mind for me. Can you build culture virtually, or do you say, all right, so we want two, week, two days out of every week that people are going to be in the office, and the reason for that, not, respect, not, not just because there's access to people and we get to understand what you're doing, but this is when we get to build culture. The work of the work can happen at home, but the culture work happens face-to-face. -face. Is that accurate or can we also build culture with those who are out and about and working from different parts of maybe even the country but all coming in via electronics like zoom yeah i, I think it's i think it's kind of always well not always i think it's kind of been that way for a long time so i i led teams when i was you know back in my tech days that i never met that were in you know seven different time zones in different countries but we came together as a team because we had this common shared goal and we had a trusted safe environment so we knew that if something was going wrong, we could be very real and direct about what was going wrong, and then we would collaborate to fix it. And I think it's that sense, that interaction and that engagement and that trust that builds the culture. I, I think we've really moved away from the generation or the time where you worked for a company and you were really stoked because you worked for that company. And now it's more about individual relationships so I work for a manager or I work for a team or I lead a team of developers or human resources professionals or whatever it is. And it's that interpersonal, intimate relationship that builds a culture. Because, I, I mean, if you look at a, a corporate culture, right, it's not like a, a blanket statement. People don't align with that anymore. And mm. it's really what is the culture of the team? What is the culture of, you know, the two to three people who work together all the time? That's that's where the culture lives, not in a mission statement or in how the C-suite executives experience it. Those individual relationships, yeah, I think you're right. And so there's a certain barrier that we have with technology with respect to, say, Zoom and WebEx meetings is that it's not easy just to sort of fall into somebody's Zoom <laughs> space, <laughs> right? So if I'm all like, if we're at corporate and we're at a major you know, office park and we have all have our little cubicles, you know, I can walk down to the bathroom or go grab my coffee and goes, hey, Jen, how are you? How's the kids? And then we have these little serendipitous sort of spontaneous little connections that help feed the emotional bank account for both of us. And our trust level goes up. I get to know you better. You get to know me better. And now we have the beginning of a friendship or beginning of a, a trusting relationship. It's yeah. harder to do that within these time blocks that we have set up for Zoom meetings or WebEx meetings. Do you have any suggestions about how we can have those more spontaneous serendipitous conversations with people when they are separated and the only way we can connect is through like a zoom situation 
Yeah. And that's where I, my, my best advice is not anybody's favorite. It depends. It really depends. I mean, the answer, <laughs> the answer for a startup is going to be very different than the answer, you know, for a global company. But I think what we're in, I think the state that we're in now is experimentation. So if nothing else, 2020 blanked the slate, right? Did a hard reboot. And now it's up to us to invent what that means. And I know that sounds very squishy and very new age and all that thing. Right. But if we really do the work of getting into how humans function together, I think it starts to answer that question. And so I think there is a combination of, because just as I'm a textbook introvert and I could happily work in isolation forever, my extrovert counterparts are struggling. And so there is a need for that human engagement, that human interaction. And there are also limitations to how people, you know, not everybody is able to work remotely. 100%. And so I think the larger answer to your question is that we need to be really intentional and design both those opportunities for people to run into each other and, and build that human connection face-to-face. -face. And then also create space for them not to have to do it. So right. one of my favorite examples is I miss conferences. I miss conferences so much because I would grab a copy, I would sit at a table, and I would be talking to people from all over the country or all over the world with different backgrounds and we would just have fantastic conversations. You yes. can't create that over Zoom network breakouts. No. As much as you want to, you can't. So right. I think it's being really intentional and and creating opportunities for those conversations to happen with in a blend of in person and virtual. Yeah, right. And so, what role do you think in the future will technology play to sort of fill that gap of human interaction, human connection? Meaning, do we do you sort of say because you mentioned that you're kind of a a tech data geek, you know? <laughs> You, you sort of, and you, it sounds like you've had some work in high-tech organizations. You know, I'm assuming that there's got to be some people sitting around just talking about the fact that we need new technology to be able to connect people better. Where do you see this going? What is that going to look like? Yeah, well, I think the technology will do a lot to enable, but I think it's us as humans and innovators to really get creative around what does that look like? How do we bring people into that? So, you know, I, WebEx and, and virtual ha have all introduced the opportunity for people to not have to be geographically located in Seattle if they want to work at one of the tech companies there. They could right. be in a rural area in Missouri and be a fantastically engaged employee and very talented and contributing. So I think it's a matter of getting out of our own way and getting people who are making those decisions and influencing the policy to say, okay, how do we, how do we engage? from a human perspective and use the technology as just a mechanism for it. I was talking to a guy on this podcast a while back who's a communication expert, and he was talking about the fact that in these Zoom interactions, like what you and I are having, the quality of the sound, although it's not consciously perceptible, actually takes away some of the tonality in our voice, hence reducing our ability to receive meaning the fact that we are normally just sitting like what you and I are doing, we don't see each other's hands as much, and that accounts for about 20 to 30% of meaning the, you know, the gestures. And you know, the, the spatial acuity that we have with our cameras actually sort of sets off slight little alarm bells that you are too close to me, even though I don't feel like you are consciously, but you know, unconsciously, you, you, you're, you're like you're, the, you're too close, right? So, so all these things being said, and he said to me something like, 
we will at some point have technology that will allow for more intimate kinds of interactions through Zoom, for example. And it kind of makes me think of Zuckerberg's idea around the metaverse, you know, like we have, you know, your, you know, <laughs> your surrogate person, you know, your, your emoji or what have you, your persona, having interactions with others in meetings and so forth. Even though you're not in the physical space, you are in a virtual space. What's your take on that? No, I, I think that's that's a fantastic area to explore because it's going to be it's going to be different for everybody. But the thing that keeps coming up for me as you're describing that is that we're using this, you know, th this virtual mechanism, you know, as a virtual call. We're baselining that against what we're familiar with, which is meetings in person in an office. But if you take a step back, that's not comfortable, and human beings weren't designed for that either. You mean so the physical face-to-face -face meetings? No, no, no. But if you look at where the physical face-to-face -face meetings occur, like human yeah. beings were meant to sit at a desk oh, under right. lighting for 10 hours a day. We just right. were not designed for that. And we're not designed to sit in three-hour meetings. And, and our attention doesn't focus. It doesn't work like that, right? People start checking out after as little as 18 to 20 minutes. Right. And everything else is just kind of waste. And people don't all need to be in the same meeting. And so I think as we're going through and saying, okay, we know we were solving for how do we get people face-to-face? -face, so it got us to virtual. Now we need to be more precise about what are we solving for in, you know, like you said, the humaning, feeling like you're too close. You can't see what I'm doing with my hands. You can't tell that I'm wearing, you know, pajama bottoms or bunny slippers. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but does that matter that you can't tell that I'm not wearing bunny slippers? You know what I mean? And so that's where we need to get precise on what are we solving for? We thought we needed office buildings for a while that served us very well. And, and on another level, it really didn't because people's blood pressure goes up. They're grinding out 45 minutes in traffic. They're doing all these things that human beings weren't designed to do. They're paying attention for infinitely longer than they should. They have way too much information coming into them at once. But because that was the normal structure, we just adapted ourselves to it. Totally understand that. And I, I, am, I get it, bells are ringing, right? The way meetings were set up before, we just sort of took it for granted. We, we suffered through it, but it doesn't mean that they were productive. I think actually, you know, the study of meetings as a whole is fascinating because it has its tentacles in leadership and culture and communication and conflict, because that's where a lot of the interactions happen is in meetings, right? If you can improve the meeting, you improve the overall quality of that person's experience with their job. Now we've, we've made it even more complex by having <laughs> these virtual meetings on top of this, like, oh, now we have to recreate the wheel again. So, but you bring up a good question though, Jen, is what problem are we trying to solve? What are we solving for? And so if you take a look at all the good and the bad with respect to virtual meetings and all the good and the bad with respect to face-to-face -face meetings the way that it used to be, what's the best? What is the thing that we have to preserve in, in these quote-unquote meetings that whether they be virtual, whether they be face-to-face, -face, what's that common thread that says this is important no matter what the medium is? What yes. do you think? I love that you use the word preserve because that that to me is exactly what we need to focus on. We don't need to completely shelve everything that we've done. We don't need to shelve all the technology. I, I walk around with my friends and I'm like, okay, I love that we don't have to have contact when we purchase something now. We could have innovated that decades ago, but we weren't forced to. So what do we want to preserve, I think, is, is one, making sure that we're able to connect as humans because... Other than that, anything business related is immaterial. It's not. It, it's not going to work. But connect um, in such in such a way, though. I mean, you, that's a 
I mean, if I sorry for interrupting you, but that's what do you mean by connect? And that's where I think this really is. It becomes a conversation around inclusion and diversity and corporate culture and what it is they're trying to accomplish, because we have to we have to find ways that people connect based on who they are. Not everybody connects the same. Correct. Right. You know, my extrovert friends feel very, very tired and very, very. And this is a generalization. Feel very tired after looking at flat pictures all day because they can't see what's going on. They do. And that's how they connect is the human gestures and the connectedness. Right. But as an introvert, I found it much easier because everybody has an equal space. We're all in these exact same dimension boxes. And I don't have to introduce myself into a conversation because we're all represented. It's also much mm. easier to prevent people talking over and, and side conversations. And so, you know, we you have Zoom that situation where you've got the, the Brady bunch of all the squares. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, but you can also switch it to where you're just looking at the panelists who are speaking and everybody else okay. is in the audience. And so it, there is some manipulation that you can do around that. But I, I think there's so many differences between cultural experience and you know, neural uh, how we experience the world that neurodiverse humans. Right. I think we, I think what we need to keep is an understanding that we connect as humans first and the business comes later mm-hmm. and people interact with their environments very differently. And if we keep those two elements in place, there's never going to be one blanket situation that works. We're going to have to be very intentional about what are we solving in this meeting and designing it that way. It kind of earlier, earlier you mentioned, you know, going into the office on Wednesdays because it's Wednesdays and that's when everybody goes to the office. Yeah. If that doesn't serve an intentional purpose, it's going to fall flat with people. Right. Right. So I know that we've had conversations with teams long before COVID, which was why am I at this meeting? I mean, I'm on the agenda list. I'm sitting here. I don't know what my role is. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know whether we're making a decision, whether this is just a brainstorming session. And people would just get their calendars filled with meetings that they wondered why they were there. So now your, your point's really well taken is now we're being forced to be much more intentional about it. Do I need to be there or not? Whereas before, maybe we just took it for granted. Yes, yes. It does it need to be virtual? And it, going back to the inclusion and diversity aspect of this, understanding that not everybody is going to be able to show up in that way. Not everybody's going to be able to show up physically in, in an office because they just don't perform well there. It's overstimulating or for myriad reasons, mobility issues, economic issues. They can't yeah. then It just gets really complicated really fast. And this is where I think people have that resistance to say, oh, it's too much. You know what? We're just all going to go back in the office. And like that is very effective <laughs> or that's very efficient. It's not very effective. And that's where I think people really need to take a step back and look at the individuals in their organization and align that to their values and goals and align that to their stated IND initiatives and just make sure that all of that's in alignment. And it's not just the path of least resistance is 80% of the people need to come back in the office by some arbitrary date that our CEO decided. So, you know, this is, boy, I didn't know where you'd go here. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm only on my third cup of coffee here. So the, the thing that makes me think about this, I'm trying to articulate what you're, what you're generating in my head here, but you mentioned around the complexity of the fact that we have so many different ways in which we learn perspectives. You're introvert. I'm extrovert. You're, you know, you have these perspectives. I have these, you know, I learned this way. You learn that way. At some point, when you chart all this stuff out, it becomes almost literally hundreds of different variables. 
and then you come then you create that with a team with many people involved and all of those variables of all of those people then you might literally have thousands of different variables of how people best need to connect ultimately you know within a small group of say 10 right and so <laughs> yeah. then if you go like can you design for that can you design a meeting for that level of extreme complexity and so my question to you is and this is my point of view is at some point it becomes so complex that it becomes now the problem that we were that the efforts to create the solution becomes the problem right we've we've yeah. overdone it we've gone way too far and i guess this is why i want to want to get your thoughts on this part there is there's no perfect environment for any one individual right yeah. no matter what a corporate structure can create we might do our very very best but at some point it comes back down to i'm coming into this environment with a zoom meeting jet happens to be an introvert i'm an extrovert that's the way it is my job in my relationship with you is to be respectful and to listen and to be agile so that my style doesn't you know set you off i will do whatever i can but it's a co-creative two-way street versus we can set up the entire environment and it's going to be a walk in the park for everybody because that's maybe <laughs> unrealistic right you know where i'm going with this I, I absolutely do yeah and it's almost like we okay so we we had we had office and that was the solution people were in offices we had a structure that worked and then we didn't have that anymore so we immediately had to go to this virtual okay we've got to get the business moving we have to keep keep people safe and healthy and intact so we got the virtual and i think right now there's such a a need for people. They just really want to find what is that next right thing. And it isn't going to be any next right thing. It isn't going to be one. It's going to be experimentation. It's going to be failing. It's going to be trying things out. But what it comes down to is understanding that it has to be more about the human interaction than this artificial building structure that worked because it did since the 70s. And I think there's going to have to be a lot of more creativity and people being really open about what works for them and what don't, what doesn't, and moving it out of just a strictly HR policy, physical space conversation, and getting people who actually understand the the, the nuance of the human experience, and just getting all of these perspectives and voices at the decision making table. Yeah, because I think that's where people, that's where companies are really going to start to fall apart is if they have you know physical security, HR operations, C suite executives sitting around a table in Seattle, coming up with what the policy is without yeah. that additional perspective of what do people really need? What do they want? Have we asked them? Have you asked yeah. your employees in a very honest way what it is they want? Right, and it, there's a company that we're dealing with right now that they became pretty clear that the executive team, because of whatever decisions they made, would, be a, would come back to corporate a lot sooner than the rest of the organization. And what they began to realize was if you were virtual, you weren't as important as you were if you were in a live setting. Yes, we always have that. We're pack animals and we always want to know how we rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we want to begin yeah. with it, you know, like this whole thing about getting close to those with the influence, you know, be, being in the know, being, you know, and if, if now if I'm out, you know, on a Zoom call, I don't have that same sort of sense of importance as if I was sitting around a table with you. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's so good. That's so you know? good. Yeah. And they're now yeah. they're struggling with that. They're saying like, okay, 
we do need for a lot of reasons to be in the same room together, but we just sent a message that we're more important than everybody else because they're not here. Yeah. And that's yeah. real. I think that's real. And I, I, I just, Oh, 100% um, that's real. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you want to know how real that is, go and, and talk to a satellite office or a field office exactly. in a small right. remote area. And there's like, right. oh, corporate, he is here. And then just plunk, they lay something down it. and we have to deal with it. Now, integrated, have to be integrated, have to be, yeah. and, and not just lip service integration, not just putting out a marketing promo every six months saying, look how integrated we are. We're all one yeah, team. Yeah, right, right. We're not so on one team. We're not yeah. on one team. <laughs> right. And that's we okay. We can't be. No. We, I mean- and that was before COVID, those satellite office record, you know, that thing that you just mentioned was real. People said, well, I'm out here in Iowa, uh, you know, home offices in Seattle where you live, you guys get together. We might come in and fly in every once in a while, but let's face it, we're not as important as you guys because this is where the action is. Yeah. That's yeah. the feeling. I'm not yeah. saying it's true, but that's the feeling. No, no, no. But I think you tapped into something, something really critical there when you're talking about what do we want to preserve is we really didn't have that before. We didn't observe that before. Right. It was just kind of a like, we're corporate, you're satellite or you're, you know, whatever. And yeah, you're not as important. And it reminds me of where offices used to be, used to be a big deal. It's like right. you go in, it's like, okay, we've, we've remodeled, we're moving to a new floor. It's like, where's everybody offices? Because that's immediately going to identify who was thought of and who wasn't, who was important. And oh, Yeah, the pecking order. It's And where your office is relative to everybody else. Yes. You know, I, we got a client who I love dearly, but they put all their executives in one area. It's like, wait a minute. Now you got a subculture within the culture and you're supposed to be one team. And then I remember reading about another company where the CEO put his desk right in the middle of all of the action and there was no partition it was just like everybody else on the floor right yeah. why because he wanted to promote that idea that he was part of this larger group he wanted access he wanted accessibility and you know so but i'm curious um, though in that how many of the individuals thought that that was the move to make sure that they were more closely scrutinized oh well, i don't know i that's yeah. a great point you know i i, I think that the, that the article didn't get to that, but I do wonder about that. That's a great point. But, it, but I think that the point of the article was people felt they had access to the, to the senior leader and that the senior leader understood them and that they, we were all equal, that we were on the same literal playing field because we were all on the same floor. We all had the same desk size. It was all ubiquitous, all common, right? Versus yeah. up there in the top left with the big, you know, closed doors and the boardrooms and all that. All right. So I think here's another thought. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. I was just realized I was on my phone and I was trying to spell something, right? And before my little friend Siri, I would just have to think about it. How do you spell that? I after E, I before E, what's the rule on this one? Whatever it was, I forget what the word was. My brain would have had to work before. Yes. Now I've got Siri to tell me this, or even like, hey Siri, what's 25 times 25? You know, she'll tell me that, right? Yeah. And she'll tell me that. I don't have to work my brain. And so why do I use that as analogy? I wonder if, if we tried to over-engineer our structures for how people connect the individual gets lazy much like i do with my spelling in taking accountability for my relationship with you 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious with the word lazy. I'm like, where's this where, going? Where are you no, going to go with this, Dean? Complacent. <laughs> no, no. Complacent, lazy. Like I don't have to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting because it, it also opens up an element of we, how much of that energy and remembering grammatical rules could be invested in innovative, creative solutions and follow up how many of those adherence to grammatical rules keep us in that mindset of this is the way it is because this is the way it is and we can't think creatively. Right. Or going back to the interpersonal part of that analogy, I've gotten lazy because I no longer listen to you. I used to. Yeah. Now I now technology is sort of my the infrastructure, the the rules that we've created, the company has laid out for us. I no longer am accountable as much to my relationship with you. I don't, I'm not as present. I'm not efforting myself because that now is somebody else's design, much like Siri is now doing my spelling for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because the other, but you used a turn of phrase and I'm, I'm not going to get it right, but you used a turn of phrase to so something like the company laid out for us. Uh, and I think that is the key to what needs to be undone. I think that's where we need to flip our the lens through which we view that. And I think that's why so many organizations are looking for the next right way to do business. Right. It isn't the company laid it out for us. If we're truly all on one team and we're truly a collection, then we need to take that individual perspective into account as well and create something that supports the team hmm. rather than outlining this is the corporate policy capital c capital p and one will adhere to this much as how you spell receive so it's another analogy to what i think you just said is the difference between politicians setting policy and then a groundswell from the people making change happen disco yes exactly exactly and it's not like a co-op or a commune or something like that right it just right. kind of everybody does whatever they want. No, no, no. We all have a common goal. But we're all responsible. You know, like Let's somebody go, yes. said to me once on a podcast is that there's a difference between fault and responsibility. And I yes. love that. It's like, I'm like, what? What do you mean by that? He goes, somebody may be at fault for something for whatever reason, but you're still responsible for how you react to it. Sometimes people go, well, I'm not responsible for doing anything because it's not my fault. No, it is responsibility because now it's in your world. Much like I'm responsible to my relationship with you and everybody else. Mm-hmm. It may not be perfect. The setup may not be right. You might be introvert. I may be expert, you know, whatever. We may be on Zoom. We might be in a different part of the world. I'm still responsible for elevating our conversation and our relationship. Absolutely. And that goes back to the whole organizational health, irrespective of the design of it, is you have people all different, different flavors, right? And different approaches, different learning styles. But at the end of the day, we're on this team. We have a shared goal, which is whatever, based on the business. And if you've got somebody with a different work style, that is very different than having somebody who is has toxic behaviors. Yeah. Or is damaging to the team. And it, 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 it's similar to that, right? So lazy could be, you just maybe a little too brusque or direct or lands differently. That is something that you can navigate together as a team. But if you have somebody who is, you know, toxic behaviors, that's not solvable in many cases. So, all right, well, I'm going to go back to, to diversity and inclusion here for a second. I, I don't know how this is going to connect, but just bear with me for a second. <laughs> um, I'm um, along for the ride. All right, here we go. So I am thinking that there is 
there's an interesting kind of timing, irrespective of what's happened with George Floyd and all the other things that have happened in our world. If you take that just for now off the table, and I know that inspired a lot. It was a catalyst for a lot of things, and I don't dispute that. But let's just take that for a second off, that there is an interesting sort of timing parallel that DNI, diversity and inclusion, has gotten more popular at the same time we're also focusing more on virtual and blended work environments, that we're now needing to be much more intentional on, the, on this sort of interaction because we have to pay more attention to different learning styles and, and the fact that you're an introvert and I'm an extrovert and, and that we have to, it's forcing us into an awareness around how do we connect with the differences of people because we're not all at work anymore. Mm -hmm. We're all over the place. We have some at work, we have some in a virtual world. Do you see that that somehow has, has aided or added fuel to the awareness for differences in people? Yes. The short answer, yes, but it also, but but also because I think the George Floyd, everything that happened in 2020, all the unrest and uncertainty and everything that that was that shared experience, it wasn't just happening in, in, in one part, it was happening globally. I think that really opened up a lot of executives and policy influencers to say, I don't even know where to begin. I have no understanding of what this experience is. And so yeah. I am open, I am listening, please bring in all of the experts and tell me how I can make this better, how I can contribute, what I can stop doing and start doing. And I think that opened the door, which got us to a place where we understand inclusion, equity, diversity is, yes, observable differences, historically underrepresented and ignored populations and segments of the population. But I think what we would have had if it hadn't been for that timing to coincide with George Floyd and everything else that was uncertain, I don't think we would have gotten to the depth of it to where we really had to confront that we need to be more precise about the nuance of individuals. And what and would have, what, together so what would have kept us from getting to the depths of it? I, I, I think it would have been, I, I don't think we would have been, I don't think the nuance of the difference of humanity, like all the different ways of experiencing and being in the world, I don't think we would have seen that in such stark light if it hadn't coincided with this huge reset of COVID and the shutting okay. down and all the uncertainty, George Floyd, all, all of that at the same time. Right. No, I get it. And it's, it, it's, it's the question, you know, it's, it goes back to, well, I agree with you on, on these sort of situations and how the timing was interesting and how it was paralleled. And, and I do think that, I guess, you know, what we're sort of saying is that we can overcomplicate things. There's a billion different nuances and different people. And it still comes down to my respect for you and your respect for me. And how do we take responsibility for every conversation, relationship, and elevate it? I guess the last thing I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, I know we've been going on this for a long time. This is a longer podcast than I thought it would be, but this has been such an interesting conversation. To me, tell me what your thoughts are. And it was that there's been, it's like a, like a balloon and you blow up the balloon with air and eventually it gets tighter and tighter and there's more and more tension and then it needs a release. Mm -hmm. It seems like we've had that going on in society. That, that there, is, there are times when it comes out in different spurts where an issue may happen, but it's fueled by a pent up energy that comes through and gets released in some way. Do you sense that too? And, and do you have any sort of ways that you might recommend that we, <laughs> we rectify that? 
I, I think we're always going to have that tension because it's that tension that, it, that that tension, even as the balloon is blowing up, when the balloon isn't obviously big, the balloon is blowing, the, the, the tension is there for segments of the population. And, and the tension builds and builds and builds. And it's only when that balloon is fully inflated that the tension reaches the outer populations that may not be paying attention. So the, the predominant culture might not be paying attention until that balloon is, is huge and big and can no longer be ignored. And I think what we need to do is we need to get people to focus on when, when those balloons are being inflated. And yeah. you know this goes into the issue of s- systemic racism, institutionalized discrimination, socioeconomic disparities, income disparities. Again, it's a whole big conversation that people are like, oh, this is too much. I can't even focus on my next meeting, let alone solving the world. And but I think it goes back to that grassroots, that conversation. People don't connect with data. They don't connect with news events. They they connect with individual humans. And so if you look at organizations and community and social change and all the other things we need to do at that at that individual one conversation at a time level, then that fuels the change. And then it also comes from, you know, the legislative bound. Right. And I, again, I, I love that you, that you you kind of brought us back to that. Certainly, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and there is the individual's responsibility for every conversation, every relationship they had. I remember there was some quote that I had found in a book called Fierce Conversations that that marriages and families and friends and teams and organizations and societies grow and die one conversation at a time. I think that's so true even now that we might need to make all these different external changes. And at the same time, I'm responsible for you and me in this conversation. And what can I do to bring it up? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know you, uh, you've likely had the same experience where you go into a client and, and you have this perception of the organization and the culture. And then you go in and interact with maybe a different team or a different group. And you're like, oh, this is not this is not this is not aligning with what everybody else is doing. Right. There's something that feels off. Yeah. So I think if we keep it at that level, I, I think that's where we're going to see the change is. And going back to your analogy about, you know, the uh, the balloon, I was going back to how at the beginning of the shutdown, everybody was like, I've gained 15 pounds. I got the COVID-15, right? Yeah. We we have changed so much in, in so small incremental ways that if you and I were to go back into a client site that we had seen before the shutdown, we're very different people. Yes. And all of those people are different people. And they've had all these individual experiences and, and, and loss and insecurity and trauma and anxiety and everything else. Yes. That we're not putting the same 15 people back on the team. Right. We're putting 15 people back who have now had very different experiences. This is so a very that, good point. It's a very good point. Cautious about when we bring them back. And, 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 and others, I mean, everybody in some ways has suffered in silence. Mm-hmm. over the last two years, some more than others, there's certainly that could be said, but my hope for people, and I, and I try, and I don't always do a good job of this, is to really be compassionate about where everybody is, give people benefits of the doubt, but continue to build that individual relationship, that connection, so that they hopefully leave feeling better, more empowered than when it started. And if those are grassroots things, that doesn't require you know, a presidential mandate to change anything. That's my responsibility. And hopefully each individual person doesn't stand back and go, I'm waiting for things to change. When is it going to happen? I can be about that change on an individual level 
regardless of all the other things that are going on. Yeah, Jen, it's yeah. been great to talk with you. I really appreciate this. I wasn't as 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 I told you when we started. I don't know where this is going to go, but you really <laughs> added some great insights and thoughts and content to this. How can people stay in touch with you and your work? Oh, so I am pagingdrjen.com. Okay, <laughs> that is me. <laughs> I do have a book that is just celebrating its one year anniversary release. Congratulations! Is, thank you, thank you. It is a handbook for accidental diversity experts. So basically a three-part roadmap to help people navigate humans through change and understand the complexity about IND. And I'm also on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to connect, I am always happy to. Well, that's great. Well, good to, good to meet you. Good to talk to you. Enjoy the rainy Seattle weather that I'm sure that you're experiencing right now. <laughs> and uh, great work. It's been a wonderful discussion. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed this tremendously. That's great. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.